Welcome to the podcast, Life Lessons from Travels Off the Beaten Path. Hi, my name is Justine Murray, and I'm also known as Lighter Step Justine, as we strive to step lightly across the earth and only leave footprints. This podcast is about the life lessons I've learned as a traveler, particularly when I decided to step off the beaten path. Mostly this occurred in the non-digital era when there was no internet or mobile phones. My sometimes bizarre and always unforgettable adventures around the globe, often as a solo woman traveller, gave me great insight into living a fulfilled life, blessed with all my senses, to enjoy the wonders the world has to offer. From wildlife encounters, to midnight crashes, to dodging stalkers and trekking with tribes, to travelling with a child and around work commitments. I will entertain you with my stories and what each adventure has taught me, along with some general travel and life wisdom along the way. I also will be bringing in other travellers who can captivate us with their own travel stories and the life lessons they have learned. So tune in to me each week and let's get entertained with travel. All right, so this episode is the 10th episode and I've decided every 10th episode I'm going to do something a little bit different and break the travel stories to bring you some historical facts or some um, some travel tips or I'll arrange an interview with someone who's also a quite an avid traveller. And so today for the first one I've decided to talk to you about what it was like to travel in the non-digital era. So when I first went to Africa I'm talking about the early 90s here. Right? So it was the non-digital era. So that meant there was no internet no email there was no mobile phones and there was no uh, digital like digital cameras or anything like this so let me walk you through these each individually and be able to tell you some of the advantages of this and also uh, some of the disadvantages. So I'll first talk about having no internet and no, and that means no email. So what did we do when we didn't have email? We basically had to write letters. So when you're traveling off the beaten track, you want to let people know where you are and what you're doing, but you you were restricted to the you know the, the the snail mail. Basically, you had to write a letter and inform people what you're doing, and then you sent it. And it could take weeks to get to its destination. Uh, but the good thing was you could write as much as you liked in pages and you had this physical copy of the letter 
that you could save forever. Now, I know my parents have kept some of the letters I wrote to them when I was in Africa and they've still got them. And I was able to use some really nice writing paper which I bought when I was in Africa which had some lovely, that actually um, painted African uh, designs on it and murals. So it was um, quite unique. And so, uh, unfortunately, letter writing is a lost art because when you write a letter, you learn to be able to write well and you only had it. Uh, and if you're thinking when you're writing it, physically writing it, it It's just another, it seems to flow more when you, um, and means so much when you see that the physical form on a piece of paper, not just on a screen. Uh, so, and then you'd have to find stamps, you'd have to find the airmail sticker uh, to, to make sure people sent an airmail, believe it or not. Uh, you had to find out how much it cost each country you went to. You had to buy stamps. You had to find how much it cost to get to your country. And so it was um, uh, It was quite a process. Right? The other thing you could do is send postcards. And so these were uh, you know, beautiful pictures of the country. And you could send them uh, a short note and send it off. Now... I think postcards are still around and they're still used, but it's not as frequent. It was an extremely common event. If you travelled anywhere, you would send postcards because we would say, send us a postcard. Now people don't even say that anymore because they'll go, oh, yeah, they'll show up on Facebook. Or not. Obviously, no internet, there's no social media. So... I remember when I was traveling through Africa and off the beaten track there, and I would write a letter to my parents and say I was in this country. And the next day I'd move and move to the next country. And as now, as I sit here as a parent myself, ah, oh, I can't imagine what my poor parents went through not knowing where I was in the world what country or anything, if anything went wrong. And there were some occasions, I remember, when we were travelling, where we met people, and people, these people would ask us to, to let the appropriate people know because a traveller had died in their country and they had no way of letting people know and, and, uh, and, and telling people. So... You know, the families of these people were still left wondering because of the the way the situation was with the information not being shared. So now that there's email and there's social media and all those other platforms, it's very easy to keep, to keep uh, informed, to be able to let your family know what's going on to keep them entertained with all your uh, adventures and be able to um, 
give detailed accounts virtually on the fly as you're going along. So it, it has advantages of that, but I do feel we have lost the, the skill of writing letters and practicing our actual our writing. You know, half the time, kids can't from schools can't write anymore. They print. They don't know how to do the cursive writing, and when they do, it's very untidy. And so we have lost that skill, which is unfortunate. Our phones. There was. Of course, there was phones in Africa, but generally they'd have one phone in a whole village and generally that'd be the, the chief of the village or some important person in the village and they would have a phone and they would rent the phone out for people to use and you'd pay a certain amount and, and it was your only way of connecting uh, quickly but often the phone would not it was still restricted to the, ex the phone exchange in each country and often there'd be problems that so the phone, even though you had the phone it would not connect uh, it would not connect to the to the exchange to the other exchange to the uh, it yes it was it was a nightmare I remember one time I was trying to ring out from a country and it had to ring from the old capital to the new capital to this is in Malawi. Um, it's a future story I'll tell you about. But from the old capital to the new capital to South Africa to Australia, it couldn't do that connection from the old capital to the new capital. So the phone call didn't happen. Nowadays, people have got mobiles, and it's a crazy system in Africa now that. There's so many more people with mobiles than there is people with electricity. So how do they charge the phones? Well, apparently they will go to these places in, in towns and villages and they'll get them to charge them. So they may have to walk for an hour or two just to get their phone charged, but they still have a mobile phone and uh you know, they obviously use it to make phone calls to do apparently uh, phone banking and, and to pay for things. They do that quite a bit, uh, obviously, for Facebook and other social media. Uh, so it's quite a, a common occurrence across Africa now. Of course, with phones, it's uh, you have to have your phone towers. And so that would be spread across the country. You would have all these, or oh, across the continent, you'd have all these towers appearing. And of course, it's not quite what you'd expect to see in Africa. And, and you know, when I was there, and you'd see all these people dressed up in their tribal clothes, and they'd have their gold watch on, or some Chinese type watch on, and it just didn't quite fit. Whereas now, so now you've got the same situation where they're potentially dressing up in their uh, tribal clothes, such as like the Maasai and their blankets and and sandals, etc. But they're carrying a phone, and so technology is great. It does 
uh, it, you know, it helps, but also it tends to um, destroy cultures in a way and change situations. Uh, so the, the other thing that was quite different was the cameras. So when I was first started traveling, you only had the old compact film camera and the SLRs. There was no digital cameras. So it became a, it was a skill to actually be able to take great shots because nothing was automatic. There was no stabilization. There was no autofocus. You had to do it all yourself and you had to learn how to use a big camera and, and the multiple lenses when you were traveling. And you were restricted to your roles of film. So you had your, you know, your 24 and 36 roles of film. And of course, you couldn't take a photo and immediately see it. You had to wait till you got it developed. And so you'd take photos and you had no idea whether they turned out or not. And you would you'd wait and then, you know, if you just did the trip through Africa and you didn't look at any film, you've got no idea what you've got by the time you come back. Uh, I got a few developed along the way. I'm actually very lucky I did because I must have at some stage bashed my camera. Uh, it's not that hard when you're travelling for so long. And it had... Uh, it had somehow jammed the the shutter so that the shutter only half opened or half closed so that each of my photos had a shape of the shutter or, or something that had a big dark shape on it. So, yeah, it was... It, it ruined quite a lot of photos, which was such a shame which I went through. And I didn't know until I actually got them developed. Whereas if you had a digital camera, you probably wouldn't have that problem, but you'd see straight away that something was wrong. The other thing is with the SLRs, you're changing the lens because we're in very dusty circumstances uh, and environments, you know, going through Sahara and all that. Well, inevitably... I got sand in my lenses and so every time you tried to you know where I had a bit of automation I lost that very quickly so I could still move it manually and you'd hear that <laughs> the sand but uh, it's it, and it still worked it worked fine but it doesn't do well in those sort of environments, you really got to take care. I don't know how people do it now when they do travel, but uh, with the digital SLRs, but uh, it was it was challenging when we went through. And the, with the digital SLRs these days, uh, they're they're amazing. You know, they autofocus, they got image stabilizers. Uh, they, you can take a photo, you see it instantly, you can take so many photos with your memory cards and and you just keep going, but of course at one stage you're going to have to look at them and, and, just, and just decide. I remember one time I met a wildlife photographer in Africa, um, this is why we're still on the 
non-digital cameras, just the normal SLRs. And I said to him, uh, how many photos, good photos does he get out of the film? And he said, oh, out of 36, he's lucky to get one or two, which made me feel a lot better because, you know, when I did get my films developed, there was always uh, a lot of not the greatest uh, photos. So, and I wasn't a, a and it, this wasn't a professional photographer. It made me don't feel as so badly. Uh, so I think the the digital cameras uh, have been a godsend for travelling. They um, certainly made it so much easier. Obviously, it, it changed the the photography field and all those pop up hour, you know, one hour processing films and and all that uh, all disappeared because you didn't need to print your photos anymore. But it was a, um, it made it easier for people to take photos without learning the skill of using a camera properly. Uh, and so that's another bit of a lost art. So there was the pros and, you know, the pros and cons of anything of, of technology changing over time. Uh, you lose, you know, anything that gets automated, you lose that skill. But at the same time, you get that increase in efficiency and uh, accuracy with your automation. Uh, as far as the mobile phone and the internet is concerned, I mean, here we are on social media now, so I'm, I'm obviously very glad for it, but it has caused a quite a change in the way different cultures and different, different you know, the populations around the world now interact every day and in the world. Uh, and what you see and so that's I don't think is always the greatest thing and I mean really to to have a mobile phone even before you have electricity is is crazy and people should have access to electricity rather than access to a phone but then of course it's it's all linked to business and and money and and uh, you know, selling plans or selling selling data would be something big whereas electricity wouldn't be as, as um, profitable I suppose uh, so when you do travel and you and you see how things change, Yeah, you think when you when you travel now and then twenty years from now, how how different it will be when you travel? Because I think back, you know, I travelled twenty years ago to thirty years ago, and so much has changed. And I remember thinking, oh, if only I'd travelled twenty years ago, it would have been fantastic. And here I and then 
I look back at what I did and so much has changed. So don't wait. As soon as you can travel, start, get out there and see it before things change too much. Okay, uh, next episode, we'll get back into the travel stories, which I hope you're enjoying. And I'll see you next time. Like always, I want to leave you with a thought to consider. What is your environmental and cultural footprint when you travel? How are you showing up to the country and the culture you are showing up with to make a better interaction for all concerned? Leaving the environment as you found it, reducing your impact on local resources and cultures to come out with such a positive outlook for both the local population and environment and yourself. Okay, please follow my podcast if you're enjoying what you are hearing and share it to others so they too may be inspired. I'll catch you next time.